Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the Home Education Series. Preface to the Home Education Series The educational outlook is rather misty and depressing, both at home and abroad. That science should be a staple of education, that the teaching of Latin, of modern languages, of mathematics, must be reformed, that nature and handicrafts should be pressed into service for the training of the eye and hand, that boys and girls must learn to write English, and therefore must know something of history and literature, and, on the other hand, that education must be made more technical and utilitarian. These, and such as these, are the cries of expedience with which we take the field. But we have no unifying principle, no definite aim, in fact, no philosophy of education. As a stream can rise no higher than its source, so it is probable that no educational effort can rise above the whole scheme of thought which gives it birth. And perhaps this is the reason of all the fallings from us, vanishings, failures, and disappointments which mark our educational records. Those of us who have spent many years in pursuing the benign and elusive vision of education perceive her approaches are regulated by a law, and that this law has yet to be evoked. We can discern its outlines, but no more. We know that it is pervasive. There is no part of a child's home life or schoolwork which the law does not penetrate. It is illuminating, too, showing the value or lack of value of a thousand systems and expedients. It is not only a light, but a measure, providing a standard whereby all things, small and great, belonging to educational work must be tested. The law is liberal, taking in whatsoever things are true, honest, and of good report, and offering no limitation or hindrance save where excess should injure. And the path indicated by the law is continuous and progressive, with no transition stage from the cradle to the grave, except that maturity takes up the regular self-direction to which immaturity has been trained. We shall doubtless find, when we apprehend the law, that certain German thinkers, Kant, Herbart, Lotz, Froebel, are justified. That, as they say, it is necessary to believe in God. That, therefore, the knowledge of God is the principal knowledge and the chief end of education. By one more character shall we be able to recognize this perfect law of educational liberty when it shall be made evident. It has been said that, the best idea from which we can form of absolute truth is that it is viable to meet every condition by which it can be tested. This we shall expect of our law, that it shall meet every test of experiment and every test of rational investigation. Not having received the tables of our law, we fall back upon Froebel or upon Herbart, or, if we belong to another school, upon Locke or Spencer. But we are not satisfied. A discontent, is it a divine discontent, is upon us. And assuredly, we should hail a workable, effectual philosophy of education as a deliverance from much perplexity. 
Before this great deliverance comes to us, it is probable that many tentative efforts will be put forth, having more or less of the characters of a philosophy, notably having a central idea, a body of thought with various members working in vital harmony. Such a theory of education, which need not be careful to call itself a system of psychology, must be in harmony with the thought movements of the age, must regard education not as a shut-off compartment, but as being as much a part of life as birth or growth, marriage or work, and it must leave the pupil attached to the world at many points of contact. It is true that educationalists are already eager to establish such contact in several directions, but their efforts rest upon an axiom here and an idea there, and there is no broad, unifying base of thought to support the whole. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread, and the hope that there may be tentative efforts toward a philosophy of education, and that all of them will bring us nearer to the magnum opus, encourages me to launch one such attempt. The central thought, or rather body of thought, upon which I have found, is the somewhat obvious fact that the child is a person with all the possibilities and powers included in personality. Some of the members which develop from this nucleus have been exploited from time to time by educational thinkers and exist vaguely in the general common sense, a notion here, another there. One thesis, which is, perhaps, new, that education is the science of relations, appears to me to solve the question of curricula, as showing that the object of education is to put a child in living touch as much as may be of the life of nature and of thought. Add to this one or two keys to self-knowledge, and the educated youth goes forth with some idea of self-management, with some pursuits and many vital interests. My excuse for venturing to offer a solution, however tentative and passing, to the problem of education is twofold. For between thirty and forty years I have labored without pause to establish a working and philosophic theory of education, and in the next place, each article of the educational faith I offer has been arrived at by inductive processes, and has, I think, been verified by a long and wide series of experiments. It is, however, with sincere diffidence that I venture to offer the results of this long labor, because I know that in this field there are many laborers far more able and expert than I, the angels who fear to tread, so precarious is the footing. But, if only pour encourageurassant, I append a short synopsis of education theory advanced in the volumes of the Home Education series. The treatment is not methodic, but incidental. Here a little, there a little, as seemed to me most likely to meet the occasions of parents and teachers. I should add that in the course of a number of years, the various essays have been prepared for the use of the Parents' National Education Union, in the hope that society might witness for a more or less coherent body of educational thought. The consequence of truth is great, therefore the judgment of it must not be negligent. Which caught? Number one. Children are born persons. Number two. They are not born either good or bad, but with possibilities for either good or evil. Number three. The principles of authority on one hand and obedience on the other are natural, 
necessary, and fundamental. But, number four, these principles are limited by the respect due to the personality of children, which must not be encroached upon, whether by fear or love, suggestion or influence, or undue play upon any one natural desire. Number five. Therefore, we are limited to three educational instruments, the atmosphere of environment, the discipline of habit, and the presentation of living ideas. Number six. By the saying, education is an atmosphere, it is not meant that a child should be isolated in what may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared, but that we should take into account the educational value of his natural home atmosphere, both as regards persons and things, and should let him live freely among his proper conditions. It stultifies a child to bring down his world to a child's level. Number seven, by education is a discipline, is meant the discipline of habits formed definitely and thoughtfully, whether habits of mind or body. Physiologists tell us of the adaption of brain structure to habitual lines of thoughts, i.e. to our habits. Number eight, in the saying that education is a life, the need of intellectual and moral as well as of physical sustenance is implied. The mind feeds on ideas, and therefore children should have a generous curriculum. Number nine, but the mind is not a receptacle into which ideas must be dropped, each idea adding to an apperception mass of its like, the theory upon which the Herbartian doctrine of interest rests. Number 10, on the contrary, a child's mind is no mere sack to hold ideas, but is rather, if the figure may be allowed, a spiritual organism with an appetite for all knowledge. This is its proper diet, with which it is prepared to deal, and which it can digest and assimilate as the body does foodstuffs. Number 11. This difference is not a verbal quibble. The Habarshian doctrine lays the stress of education, the preparation of knowledge in enticing morsels, presented in due order, upon the teacher. Children taught upon this principle are in danger of receiving much teaching with little knowledge, and the teacher's axiom is, what a child learns matters less than how he learns it. Number 12. But, believing that the normal child has powers of mind that fit him to deal with all knowledge proper to him, we must give him a full and generous curriculum, taking care, only, that the knowledge offered to him is vital. That is, the facts are not presented without their informing ideas. Out of this conception comes the principle that, number 13, education is the science of relations. That is, that a child has natural relations with a vast number of things and thoughts. So we must train him upon physical exercises, nature, handicrafts, science and art, and upon many living books. For we know that our business is not to teach him all about anything, but to help him make valid, as many as be made of, those firstborn affinities that fit our new existence to existing things. Number 14. There are also two secrets of moral and intellectual self-management which should be offered to children. These we may call the way of the will and the way of reason. Number 15. The way of the will. 
Children should be taught A. To distinguish between I want and I will B. That the way to will effectively is to turn our thoughts from that which we desire but do not will C. That the best way to turn our thoughts is to think of or do some quite different thing, entertaining or interesting D. That, after a little rest in this way, the will returns to its work with new vigor. This adjunct of the will is familiar to us as diversion, whose office is to ease us for a time from will effort, that we may will again with added power. The use of suggestion, even self-suggestion, as an aid to the will, is to be deprecated, as tending to stultify and stereotype character. It would seem that spontaneity is a condition of development, and that human nature needs the discipline of failure as well as of success. Number 16. The Way of the Reason We should teach children, too, not to lean too confidently onto their own understanding, because the function of reason is to give a logical demonstration, a, of mathematical truth, and b, of an initial idea accepted by the will. In the former case, reason is, perhaps, an infallible guide, but in the second, it is not always a safe one. For whether that initial idea be right or wrong, reason will confirm it by irrefragable proofs. Number 17. Therefore, children should be taught, as they become mature enough to understand such teaching, that the chief responsibility which rests on them as persons is the acceptance or rejection of initial ideas. To help them in this choice, we should give them principles of conduct and a wide range of knowledge fitted for them. These three principles, number 15, number 16, and number 17, should save children from some of the loose thinking and heedless action which cause most of us to live at a lower level than we need. Number 18. We should allow no separation to grow up between the intellectual and spiritual life of children but should teach them that the Divine Spirit has constant access to their spirits and is their continual helper in all the interests, duties, and joys of life. So for this preface, we're not actually going to record a conversation at this time. There's just so much history, philosophy, and other stuff here that we're going to be diving straight into the meat of Volume 2. We do plan to come back to this sometime in the future to explore these topics, but that takes time to research and we'd rather spend that time exploring what Charlotte Mason says. Thank you for listening. Check us out at charlottemasonsays.com. If you enjoy what we're doing, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. If you want to get a hold of us, email us at charlottemasonsays at gmail.com. Or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cmsays.